Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Show of hands out there in podcast land. How many of you, with the just under four minutes to play Monday night, the Titans having surrendered two touchdowns in the span of a minute following a muffed punt and a fumble, how many of you knew the Titans were going to win that game? Of course, just about everybody, just like us here on this panel at Believe in Titans. It was obvious what was going to happen in the last couple minutes of that game, right? Right? No, not right. But uh, there is much joy in Titans land this week following the the improbable 28-27 victory over the Miami Dolphins. So improbable, in fact, that the Titans are the first team since 2016 to come back from two touchdowns down in in the final three minutes of the game and win, and the only team ever to do so and win in regulation, which they did. Little little help from analytics. They uh, they elected to go for two after their first touchdown, converted that, of course, then drove the field again. Got another touchdown, so 15 points in the uh, in the final couple minutes, and they dispatched the Dolphins. The uh, and you know, go figure this: the first road win for the Titans this season, first home loss for the Dolphins. I mean, there's a there's a there's a lot of reasons to to have not expected that outcome, but uh, but here we are. The Titans are at five and eight. Their playoff chances, in case you're interested, according to the New York Times currently at 0.4%. So if you're thinking this one threw them back into the fringe of the playoff race, not so much, but uh but it was exciting and uh and quarterback Will Levis, I think um, uh, among some other folks has has created a little more excitement for the final few weeks of the season here and uh and and we will uh we will talk about such things on this episode of Believe in Titans, as always, with former Titans cornerback Denard Walker. Denard, how are you? I'm doing good this evening. How are you doing, David? Doing great. And uh, John Glennon of the Nashville Post. John, how are you? I'm doing well. Hope you guys are. Doing great. And I am David Beauclair. So, uh, Denard, let's, uh, you know, let's just get right to the point here. Take me through your thought process there the the last few minutes of the game. How dismayed were you at the turnovers and and the fourteen point deficit and and how amazed were you were when the when the Titans answered the bell there? Well, David, I wasn't amazed. Uh, well, I was a little kind of stuck uh, <laughs> a little bit in the last few minutes of the game. But if you think about it, it was the first three quarters that I really focused on because we talked about when Tennessee comes out and they play fast, they typically end fast. And when you watch this team Monday night, no one was giving the Titans a chance. And it always seems like when this team is down and out, they seem to find a way uh, to at least get going and get back on track and prove all of the naysayers wrong. I looked at the fact that Miami squandered uh, a few points. If you think about the first series when Tua – uh, botched the fumble between the center and the quarterback exchange. 
You're talking about the 44-yard field goal by Miami that was blocked. I mean, those little things is what kept Tennessee in the game. And then I looked at the way that the, de- the just the defense, I mean, just played the whole game. You're talking about the secondary. None of us was giving this secondary a chance. They're going against, what, Tyreek Hill coming into this contest with nearly 1,500 receiving yards. He's uh, getting ready to surpass that of Calvin Johnson in 2012, that 19 19- was at 1,964, and the fact that the the way that they hit uh, Jalen Waddle almost knocked him out of the game on that first series, those are the kind of little things that when you see that from Tennessee, I'm always going to give this uh, team a chance to win, and that's exactly what they did Monday, is that Miami allowed them, they didn't capitalize on some of those mistakes, and they end up getting beat, and that's what happens in this game. Yeah, yeah, to your point about uh, you know the Titans winning when they're counted out, that that was sort of my reaction to my big takeaway. You know, we've we've had the discussion on here a little bit lately. You know, could it could this devolve into a situation where Mike Vrabel's job is in trouble? And one thing that we have seen from Mike Vrabel teams pretty consistently in his five plus seasons here is that uh, they win games when you think they're they're not supposed to and uh, you know they're they're the biggest underdog to win this season in the NFL now at, at 13 and a half point uh, underdogs in that game so that to me uh, that to me said very much so Mike Vrabel still has a firm hand on this team guys are guys are buying in guys are believing in in the game plan and uh, and you know no the Titans are not as talented a team as the Miami Dolphins but as we always say here too the 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 gap from one team to the next is not nearly as big in the NFL as most fans I think tend to think it is. And, uh, and, and when you can, when you can make those sorts of plays, like you, you, you turn turn over in the red zone early, you block a field goal, you, you hang around, you, you muddy the water a little bit that, you know, that's the way, that's the way this team likes to win games. And uh, I think it was, I think it was a really good night for Mike Rabel in that regard. John, as, as you watched it play out, what was, uh, what was your sort of in the moment analysis? Yeah, I, I think what, I ended up being kind of most most stunned by or most amazed by um, was the speed of those last two scoring drives. Um, you know, when you, when you take into account, uh, you know, you go back over this lengthy road losing streak that we've been talking about forever. Nine games on the on the road, ten games away from Nissan that they have lost. They hadn't scored more than sixteen points in any of those games total. All right, so you're down to to four minutes left, uh, you know, and and you've only scored 13 points. You're hardly thinking, okay, here's a Titans team that's going to run, march right down the field and and score in a couple possessions. That is exactly what they did. Um, You look at those two scoring drives, uh, nine plays, 80 yards, a minute 54, and the second one, the game-winning drive, Four plays, 61 yards in just 26 seconds. So you're looking at two touchdown drives for the Tennessee Titans on the road uh, that took all of 220, um, you know, to to materialize. Um, and you pull 15 points out of that and you win the game. That just, just resonated with me because of how difficult it's been for the Titans to score anywhere, but especially on the road. And the other thing in that same time frame, 
that was particularly kind of impressive and, and a little bit stunning uh, as well. That I mean, the defense, you know, for all what we just talked about with the offense there, the defense still needed two back-to-back stops against the best offense in the NFL in order to get that win. Now, granted, Tyreek Hill was not playing, and the Dolphins were down a couple of linemen by then as well. But, you know, on the other end of things, Titans didn't have Jeffrey Simmons. The Titans didn't have Christian Fulton. Uh, still, they get uh, two back-to-back stops there. The second one, you know, obviously the, the Dolphins only needed a field goal to win the game. They could only get one first down before the Titans turn them over on downs. So a total for the Dolphins in those last two drives of one first down uh, and I believe just nine plays. So those two things to me, the speed of, of two touchdown scoring drives um, and the ability of the D to stop, you know, the best offense in the game really, uh, really left, um, you know, a mark with me. John May- John makes a good point, Denard, that, you know, injuries are everywhere. Every team has to deal with them. But how, how big a factor was Tyreek Hill getting hurt and, and missing a, a good chunk of this game? How, you know, how vital is he to everything that kind of the Dolphins do on offense? It's everything. I mean, he's their secret weapon. What is he? He came into this game with 1,481, which is the most receiving yards through 12 games. And if you look at it, he's on pace to surpass that. I just alluded to earlier, Calvin Johnson. But let's, let's just take a look at this. If, if I like Cedric Wilson, he's a good player, but he's not Tyreek Hill. And if you look at that game, he became the centerpiece of that offense. And Jalen Waddle was a little banged up. Even though he, he came back into the game, he still wasn't the same when he took that hit in the first quarter by Monty Hooker. And when you have when you lose your playmaker, let's be honest, uh, Miami, they started they started going down. They started, got a lot of players started getting injured. You saw Tennessee started to capitalize, and I think that's what gave that defense. Uh, they kind of got galvanized when Tyreek went out of the game. Great job by Sean Murphy Bunton on that hit on Tyreek. Um, because I tell you what, it, it almost looked like a horse collar. I mean, they called, it could have went, uh, it was close. Not, yeah. it was close. It was very close. But when you think horse about it, and a hip drop, actually. Yeah, I, I, well, you know, what helped this, helped this cause is the fact that he was falling. So as he's falling, that kind of, I think that must shield it, the referee, if, as opposed to him standing up. But when you lose a player of that caliber, David, that we're talking about a player that is ultimately could be this year's MVP. And when you lose that, you lose pretty much, what, 50% of your offense. And Mike McDaniel said it, is that when Tyreek went out of the game, it changed up the play call. And he could no longer call the plays that he's used to calling with Tyreek in the game. He had to go to Cedric Wilson Jr. And that just, that wasn't, it was a matchup that uh, Tennessee, when you look at Sean Murphy Button, that he was pretty much lined up against the whole time. Uh, Sean Murphy Button pretty much uh, took him out of the game. Yeah, there, there. It, all of a sudden, there was what early in the fourth quarter, Wilson had a couple of catches, and you felt like, oh, okay, the Dolphins have have found something here. But uh, you know, Sean Murphy Bunning showed the uh, the the skill that cornerbacks need above all others, and that's the ability to forget. I mean, he didn't have a mm-hmm. he didn't have a perfect night, but he uh, he stayed in the fight all night, and uh, and you know there at the end too, you got to give the secondary credit. You know, Harold Landry gets the sack that effectively ends the game, but uh, but Tua had nowhere to go with the ball there as he was looking, I, and uh, it, it was. Uh, it, 
you know, it, it was a remarkable performance in a lot of ways. I, I think even without Tyreek Hill, yes, uh, you know, he is so much a part of what they do, but, uh, but there have been, there have been passing games that, that have less than Cedric Wilson and Jalen Waddell and, uh, and, you know, the, the, and uh, the backs coming out of the backfield and whatnot that have beat up the Titans secondary this year. And, uh, this was, uh, this was, a this was a, this was a good performance for them. One that, uh, one that should inspire a little confidence. Of, of course, there will be some people kind of wringing their hands saying, Oh, the, you know, t- watch the Titans play themselves out of a top 10 draft pick now or whatever. Uh, uh John as as you look at this is this a uh, is this a springboard to to good things to come is this uh I mean will there will there be will there be benefits immediately in the short term will it be more long term uh, is it uh is it just a a nice win but it's it's not going to do anything for them how how do you view the impact of of such an an unlikely outcome here yeah, you know, I, I think uh, certainly in, in terms of, um, you know, what what it means for the team, you know, I, I think you have to look at the, the younger players. And, and obviously, first and foremost is Will Levis, as we've referenced, you know, first rookie quarterback to throw over 300 yards on uh, on Monday night football. Um, you know, sort of a uh, uh, sort of a coming out performance for him, if you don't consider the the very first game he played in. Um, you know, and, and some of the other younger players too. You look at Tajay Spears. Uh, you know, I think he had almost 90 yards receiving. Chiga Conquo, who we haven't seen much of this year, started making some nice contributions as well. And you remember too that you've got a couple of rookies playing on that left side on the offensive lines: Garonsky, Shalen Duncan. So these are are the kind of games I think that that can kind of you know give them that extra little boost of confidence. They learn from it. That uh, makes them better players, presumably in the long run. Now, you know, if, if the Titans, you know, kind of flail their way down the stretch here again, uh, and, and ultimately, you know, this game proves to be the difference between a certain draft pick and not a certain draft pick, I think it's a different story at that point. I think at that point, you know, you, you kind of wish that, hey, uh, as exciting and as entertaining as it was, Man, I'd rather have that great left tackle that we missed that we just missed by one or two draft picks because we won that game. So it, it's uh, it comes down to what the Titans do with this win, I think, and especially those young players. Uh, you know, and I, I I wonder too. I have to think a win like this has to re-energize the, their coaching staff and and Mike Vrabel in particular. I mean, this has been a slog, uh, you know, for a long time coming into this game. They had lost, you know, 15 of 19 games. We've talked about the long road losing streak. And I don't know about you guys, but when I looked at, at Mike Vrabel on the sidelines last night in the in the early going, there wasn't a lot of, of confidence radiating the, the way I usually see from Mike Vrabel. It, it looked to me that the word that detached almost uh, I, came to my mind. It was almost like, geez, I, you know, I, we got what we got. This is what's going to happen tonight, and you know I'm I'm you know I'm kind of resigned to it almost. Um, but you know I, I thought as the game went along, it picked up his spirits. It, it energized Mike Vrabel as well, and and I think you know there's there's something to do something to that for for not only for him for the for the coaching staff as well. And then lastly, 
you know, I, I think, you know, for the players, they know that what the playoff odds are. They know that, that there's virtually no chance they're making the postseason. So for, for them, a game like this at least gives them something, a little shot of, of, of energy, uh, you know, to kind of head into this final month of a season, even when there's no carrot at the end of it. Hey, you, you've got at least something, uh, as I say, a little 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 spark, a little boost, uh, something that, uh, you know, can, can um, you know, vault you into that last month. Yeah, you know, I, I agree with you about Vrabel, and I even I think his body language has gotten worse as the year has gone yeah. on. I even I even texted somebody that early in the game. I said he just he just looks like he's ready for the sky to fall in at at any point. And uh, uh, you know, I've said that earlier on here. I'd, I'd love to play poker with the guy because I I think he just has a just has a terrible poker face. But but Denard, you know, talk about this now. You you came in the league your first two years. The Titans were. Uh, we're, we're eight and eight both years. They you won three of your last five your first year in the league. Uh, lost a couple late in the year. One one and won a couple early in December, and then finished with a couple losses in 1998. But uh, but you know you guys were obviously competitive, and and you know nobody was nobody was tanking then. Nobody was uh, was clearly trying to position for a draft pick. To, if this team can get to eight and nine or or somehow even nine and eight, you know, run the table here. What, what would that do for uh, what? And and do you think this, do you think this victory Monday night can, can act as sort of a slingshot in that regard? It does a lot. I mean, it's, it's momentum going into next season and this team could have tanked it, but that's not a Mike Vrabel team. We haven't seen no team from Tennessee, at least since I've been covering the last few years ever tanking. They're just not that, I wouldn't say they're not, they're not the greatest team in the world. They're not what we're accustomed to seeing uh, the last few years. But this team came out Monday in front of a national televised audience, and they went out and they played phenomenal. And when you look at the way that a Mike Vrabel team is, you talk about Mike Vrabel, you're talking about a former player. So, again, they take on that DNA of that team, regardless of the situation. And, you know, before – it's weird, uh, John, you was talking about the mannerisms – of Coach Rabel before the game. When I look, when I saw this game, David, uh, like pregame before the start of the game, I saw Miami players very relaxed. They were smiling. You saw Tua in the backup quarterback. They were waving at the camera uh, before the game. And I said, you know what? This team from Miami, they're very loose. And then they showed a clip of Tennessee on the sideline, and they had a picture. They had a Derek sitting there like he was all business. And their demeanor was, we're coming out here and play. We're not going to be embarrassed. And what that's what you want to see. That's That means that you still have fight in you. You know why, David? Because you're still being paid. And people are still critiquing you. They're still looking at you. And, and if you go out there and take it, you might not have a job next season. And so what I love about this team also is their resiliency. You think about it. Everything to me starts with the offensive line. When I looked at the first half, Will was only sacked one time. One time he was sacked. How many times did they get to Tua in the first half? Twice. Yeah. 
And, and, you know, that's, I mean, again, those are little things. I, I mean, we've been talking about when are players like Arden Key going to step up? It's like he's gotten better the last few weeks. We've been calling his name more. And that's what you want to see. You want to see, you want to gain momentum right now because what that momentum would do is it would go into off season, And that is kind of where you start your uh, next season is what you do uh, from last season. We did that when I was in Tennessee. I mean, think about this, David. We were 16 and 16 my first two years. Okay, we were 26 and six the last two years. And guess where that started? How we played down the stretch. We go in 98. We beat Jacksonville, uh, beat them down there. They were supposed to win the AFC Central. We spoiled that. And then we went against the best team that year in the league in 1998. That was the Minnesota Vikings. What did that do? Even though we lost that game, we, we, we realized, hey, we're pretty good. Let's take it. Take this into next season. And we end up going to the Super Bowl in 99. So you don't know what can happen. You know, you need that. You need to keep playing and you need to generate some kind of momentum going forward. Yeah, you held that uh, that that high powered Vikings offense to just 26 points in a uh, in a game at Vanderbilt. I remember uh, I remember that was that was first time I saw Randy Moss live and in person. And uh, boy, that guy could run it. I think it's it's important to note here, too, that the uh, the Monday night outcome, I, I think, in a lot of ways, lifted the spirits of of Titans fans and and many folks around uh around Nashville following the news a day earlier that uh that uh, a Titans great Frank Wycheck had died I I think the uh the, the fight and the toughness that this team showed I, I think many fans interpreted it as a uh, as a fitting tribute almost if you will to to Frank who was 52 years old died of a result of a fall at his home in Chattanooga where he was living these days to be close to his uh, his children um Denard, I'm going to going to come back to you you were teammates with Frank for for 4 years when when you watched him when you think of Frank Wycheck what immediately comes to mind for you Frank was amazing he was underrated as a player and I had a chance every day when I first got to training camp to watch Frank Wycheck this wasn't just your average player Frank Wojcik was pretty much our whole offense along with Eddie George for a long time. And you're talking about consistency. He was the model of consistency, David. Frank had the most sure hands on the team. He just, it just seemed like when, when it, when it was game time, you know, Frank just, I mean, he took it to a new level. He practiced hard. He was a great teammate. He meant a lot to me as a, a player because I was very fortunate that when I got drafted out here, I'm a young rookie. I, there was a lot of veterans on that team. And what really gave me real confidence is the fact that veterans like Frank would pull me aside one day and he said, you know, Rook, you're playing well. And when a, when a veteran like Frank, who was a big part of our offense, a big part of our team, he sits back and he's giving you that kind of a compliment. You know what it ends up doing? It just makes you want to go out there and do more. It makes you want to continue to get better. And it was players like Frank Wachek I missed when I left in free agency in Tennessee because I wasn't blessed to be around people like Frank. And I'm not saying that because Frank passed. I mean, I'm hurting. But at the same time, Frank was what I call a high character uh, individual who just so happened to be also a great tight end for us. Yeah, uh- you know, John, in, in 1997, you covered this team for the uh, Memphis Commercial Appeal. Titans, of course, played home games in Memphis that year as the uh, as the Tennessee Oilers. And and you know, I, as I as I think back, you know, everybody knew who Eddie George was, 
uh, football fans certainly knew who Bruce Matthews was. Steve McNair, you know, people people knew of his, uh, and particularly in the Memphis area, they uh, they they knew who Steve McNair was. But but I I think of Frank Wycheck sort of as as the first guy that that fans in Tennessee sort of maybe didn't know but got to know and love um you know when you when you think back to to those early years how important was frank in terms of you know yes yes there was the there was a popularity issue early on but but how you know how how important do you see frank in terms of the the ultimate love affair that exists now between this franchise and most most of the state pretty much yeah, you know, I, I think back to that that year, of course, and and as you mentioned that you know the home games were played in Memphis, and I remember one of one of uh, Jeff Calkins' columns, um, and it was early on. Uh, in fact, I guess it was probably before the season started, and uh, one of the the members of the uh, the Oilers Titans uh, had uh, now his name eludes me, of course, but uh, had decided to retire after a fairly lengthy uh, career. And, and Jeff Cockham's column, uh, you know, Memphis Commercial Appeal at the time, um, basically the gist of it was, should we care? You know, what connections do we have in, in Tennessee to somebody who played his entire career in Houston and just happened to be here for, you know, a matter of weeks and months? And and I think uh, Frank Wycheck was, was, as you say, kind of one of those guys who, who crossed that bridge, who turned – People in Tennessee who might have initially, whether it was Memphis or Nashville, might have turned up their noses and said, we have no ties to these guys. This isn't the University of, of Tennessee. This is not Vanderbilt or, or Memphis University. Why why are we supporting these guys? I think he was one of those guys that, that, that sort of won uh, fans over a very everyman personality. You know, it, it's amazing. Uh, as I say, I, I only covered him the one year, so I, I don't I didn't know him as well as you guys did over the years. But have we ever run into anybody, uh, you know, who said I, I wasn't real big Frank Whitecheck fan? Didn't didn't really like the guy. I I don't think I've ever run into anyone uh, who said that. You know, it, it just doesn't happen. Um, and and he was a guy. He was he, he connected. You know, not only his football playing style, kind of that rough and tumble blue collar style. But then off the field uh, as well, I, th- I think he made a great connection with fans, and that one from everything from being such a uh, you know a, a, an entertaining, lively personality, one that that would eventually you know be on the radio for many years, to also a guy who who did uh, so well in in raising money, uh, you know, for Special Olympics in particular. Um, you know, th- those are the kind of bonds, those are the kinds of connections. I think that that eventually you know led led Tennessee fans all over the state to to enjoying and appreciating uh the Oilers and Titans you know and and I think Frank Frank Whitecheck had a huge impact uh in doing that during his tenure here yeah and, and it's funny I I as I've talked about Frank the last couple of days you know Denard you talk about what a what an important player he was for this team how good he was and he was a you know a three-time pro bowler in in 2000 he was a second team all pro he's he's one of 18 tight ends in NFL history with at least 500 career catches i mean there's there, there's no debating the guy was was a terrific football player but i what i think a lot of people don't know or didn't realize about Frank is how insecure he was 
about his place on the team. I mean, this is a guy who, uh, you know, he was he was a prolific high school running back who went to the University of Maryland and was told, you're not good enough. We need you to play tight end. And he didn't really like that, but he became the leading tight end, leading receiver among tight ends in that program's history. Then he gets drafted in the sixth round by Washington in 1993. Great, right? You know, you're a draft pick. You're going to, you know, you're going to have opportunities in this league. And, and for the better part of two years there, had a hard time seeing the field, had a hard time carving out a role for himself. So by the time he came to the Oilers in 95, he was, he was pretty well shaken in, in trying to figure out, you know, do I have a future in this game or whatnot? And he never, even, even as he became such an important part of the Titans, he never lost that fear. I mean, he acted like an undrafted rookie in a lot of ways. And I, I'd talk to him and, you know, we'd have our conversation about whatever. And I'd say, thanks, Frank. I always appreciate it. And he'd, he'd say, yeah, Dave, I'm going to miss you. I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, I'm getting cut next week. I'm like, you're not getting cut next week, Frank. And we, you know, we'd had that conversation. I don't know how many times, but, but I think that that attitude was so important to his success because it, it, it kept him locked in at all times and and kept him working to try and do things exactly right so that uh, so that the coaches or the the manager or whomever never had an excuse to say well look at what just what Frank just did let's just go ahead and cut him here and and that takes me to of course the you know his most famous moment the the lateral and the music city miracle that that people in buffalo want to debate to this day and and Frank and I had have talked about that a number of times over the years. And, and it, it struck me the first time he said it to me and, and he said it pretty much every time he said, I know it was a legal play because it was my job to throw it backward. So, it, it, you know, and, and I think, I think when you know, Frank and you know, you know about Frank's journey and his approach to things and how he was always trying to be perfect. That's, you know, that's an important distinction. Frank wasn't thinking my job is just to get the ball over to that side of the field to Derek Mason, who was supposed to be there, or, you know, in this case to Kevin Dyson, who was there uh, on that particular day. He's thinking, I have to throw a lateral so that this is a legal play, and then we'll see what happens from there. So uh, when when people ask me about the uh, the Music City Miracle and, and whether it was a legal play or not, I always reference that story, and I tell them, if Frank Wycheck says it was a lateral, then it was a lateral because that's exactly what he intended to do. And, uh, uh, it'll be, uh, it, 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 we'll see, uh, we'll see what the Titans do to honor him this Sunday. And, and I assume going forward the, uh, the rest of this season, they're, uh, they're of course, interestingly enough, back at home on Sunday against the Houston Texans. They will be wearing the, uh, the Oilers throwbacks for, the second time this season and, and sort of sticking it to the, the Texans and the Houston's fans a, a, a little bit that way. Uh, I guess there's going to be a question as to whether or not CJ Stroud is going to be a quarterback for the Texans. He, uh, he sustained a concussion on Sunday and, and we all know that's not one you just, uh, you just come back from quickly. So as, uh, as we look ahead to Sunday, Denard, um, uh, this is the uh, this is the one team in the division the Titans haven't played yet. The the Texans have been a big surprise. Uh, what what do you think? What what are you looking for to happen in this game Sunday? You know what I want to see. I want to see if 
I don't want to see a team like we saw in Atlanta and then you come back the next week and you lay an egg. I don't want to see that. I, you know, what you want to see, how would they go forward from here? I mean, it's been inconsistency uh, when you describe this team all season. And what I would like, the great teams, and what great teams are able to do, David, is they pick up where they left off. So I want to see if they take that momentum from this game Monday night into the game Sunday and you're playing at home and you're wearing the old, you're going old school when you're talking about sticking it to Houston. I mean, there's going to be a lot of emotions in this game. So I just want to see if this team is going to pick it up and pick up where they left off Sunday and if, are they going to continue to look the way that they look uh, Monday night on defense? I want to see how well they play especially in the back half. I want to see if they get this running game generated. Uh, and I just want to see if they will just will, will come out and play the way that he played against Miami. I just want to – that's all the thing I want to see because it seems like one week we, we talk about this team, it's like they look amazing, they're back, like, like the game against Atlanta, and then they come back and it's kind of like what happened. So it's like the tale of two ends. What would we see? Would we see the team um, that played the way that they played in Cleveland or will we see the, the team that we saw uh, Monday night against Miami? John, DeAndre Hopkins had a, a number of really big games for the Texans against the Titans. What are the chances DeAndre Hopkins has a big game against the Texans for the Titans Sunday? I think it's an increasingly uh, good chance. And, and the reason I say that uh, is just because despite the fact that the, the Titans have no one else really in terms of wide receivers right now, to throw to DeAndre Hopkins is still putting up huge numbers. You know, uh, uh, Will Levis has thrown to him 12 times in each of the last two games, um, came through with seven catches, 122 yards and a TD uh, this week. So I think, uh, you know, as much as teams are focusing on him, he is beating them. So I think he is a big game. And I think the, uh, the Texans are struggling uh, with injury on offense. You mentioned CJ Stroud. Also tank Dell is out Dalton Schultz. And Nico Collins are, are likely out as well. So I think the Titans have a, a fairly decent chance of uh, of making it two in a row here at home. Yeah, I'm with Denard. I want to see I want to see some carryover from Monday night. I want to I want to see that that okay we we learned something about ourselves that that there's no going back as you know it's not two steps back after three steps forward here on Monday night uh it feels like a real opportunity for the Titans to win another one and and maybe build some momentum like Denard talked about for the first time this year we of course will be watching uh, along with all of you and we will be back next week to talk about it until then thanks as always for listening to Believe in Titans Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.